You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Well, if you would open up your Bibles to the book of Colossians, we are still in Colossians chapter number one. And uh, so great content as we study this chapter and we learn about the preeminence of Christ. And much like the day and age in which we live, we know that there's a lot of false teaching, and that's what they were contending with in uh, Colossians. And it wasn't that people didn't want to give Christ some, a, a nod, or you could say uh, a place of eminence. In other words, he is very important. But this cult would, would refuse to give Christ the preeminence. They, they refuse to focus on who Christ really was. And in any religion that doesn't exalt Christ above all, uh, that's a major red flag because the Bible does exalt him indeed. And so in Colossians chapter number 1, we're going to begin reading in verse number 15, Colossians 1:15, And we're going to read down till about verse number 22 and pick up our text in verse 20 just here in a moment. But the Bible says, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? And as we go through, I'm just going to talk about what we've already covered. We see that He's the image of the invisible God, which means that Jesus Christ is God revealed. Uh, Jesus Christ is God in focus. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so, uh, you know, I, I think about that sometimes. This time of year, people begin to talk a lot about the incarnation of Christ and the birth of Christ, the virgin birth of Christ. But really, it's something that needs to be preached on yearly, around the year, because He is the, the person of God revealed in the flesh. So the person of God is revealed in Christ. But notice verses 16 and 17. The Bible says, For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. So He is emphasizing the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. He emphasizes Him as the person of God being revealed in Christ, but also the power of God being revealed in Christ. Uh, the Bible tells us that He is the Creator. Without Him was not anything made that was made. Uh, I'm glad that uh, the Bible has answers, as we've been preaching about it on Sunday mornings, about how that the Bible has answers to some really good questions, doesn't it? Uh, where do we come from? What's our purpose? Uh, what, what, where, where are we going? The Bible has good answers for all of those things, but the person of God is revealed in Christ. The power of God. All things were created. You look out at the heavens, and I like how the, the psalmist said it, When I consider the heavens, the work of thine hands. I mean, he wonders, What is man that thou art mindful of him? So the power of Christ, the person of Christ, and then also the purpose, the purposes of God. Look at verses 18 and 19. And he's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Now, the word firstborn, if we use it, we always have something in mind. But biblically speaking, and speaking from an ancient context, what does the idea of firstborn mean? First in importance. Uh, we would, our firstborn is always the oldest kid, right? But throughout the Bible, for instance, Solomon was called the firstborn of David. Solomon was, there was several born before him. But what it was is he was given a place of rank and position. So 
that being born here doesn't refer to birth because notice what it goes on to say. It says the firstborn from the dead. Those are two kind of opposite things, aren't they? Firstborn from the dead, but it speaks of his resurrection and his level of importance. That in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And so now think about that. So we've been talking about the Lord Jesus Christ as we often should. But in these verses, he is telling us that just as Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Just as Jesus repeatedly said, I am, before Abraham was, I am. I'm the great I am. He is God. But then he goes on to say, he's the creator. He's the one that made everything that is. Man, the marvel and the wonders of creation. So just think about the exaltation here. And in addition to that, he is the head of the church. Uh, the church, the body of Christ, uh, that which uh, began with Christ there in the New Testament and continues on to this day, that which has changed the world for good, that which is just a miraculous thing. Jesus came, uh, God in the flesh, he died on the cross, he rose again the third day, and he went back up to heaven, but within everyone who would accept him and receive him as uh, their Savior, his ministry continues on. His work through us because the church, Christians, display the love of Christ. That's what true biblical Christianity is. Therefore, true biblical Christianity is not about a religion as much as it's about a relationship. As much as it's about a relationship. It's not about conforming and conforming to some religion. It's about being transformed. Uh, by the power of God, by the gospel of Christ, by the love of Christ. Uh, I heard a great illustration about that earlier this week, talking about transformation. When you think about a caterpillar, for instance, a caterpillar, it spends its time eating uh, its weight several times over. If you've ever had caterpillars, if you're trying to grow something, they are not a welcome sight, are they? Why? Because they just devour, and they take in, and they take in, and, they, and, they, and they, they're, they're destructive. All, they, all they're focused on is trying to get themselves all fattened up. Anybody feel convicted over Thanksgiving right now? Uh, but that's what a caterpillar does. But when that caterpillar undergoes a metamorphosis, which is the biblical word transformed, comes from the Greek word metamorphosis. And so when that caterpillar goes through a metamorphosis, all of a sudden it turns into a butterfly. Now that caterpillar is no longer destructive, is it? It's actually productive. It's actually a benefit to the world now. And not to mention its beauty and so forth, but transform. See, it's not about religion. It's not about just keeping some set of rules. It's not about getting baptized. It's not about going to church. I believe in getting baptized. I believe in joining the church. But those things are byproducts of what took place on the inside of me one day when I heard about the love of Christ, when I heard the gospel. that I always believed that Jesus died. I'm the only one there. I, I, I was brought up, especially where I was brought up in North Carolina in the Bible Belt, I, I, what I'd heard about Jesus, I believed. I believed that he was virgin born. I, I believed that he died on the cross and that he rose again the third day. I, that was fine. All that was fine with me. But there was a day when I realized that he did it for me and why he did it for me. Because I could not do it on my own. I had sinned against God. And that really leads us to the next point. So the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ, but now notice what it goes on to say in verse 20. 
And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether it be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Now just don't miss what's being said here. He's God. He's the creator. He, he's the one that established this church. Not this church, but I'm talking about the church overall, over all these centuries. And I would say including this church. But then it goes on to say he was killed. He was, we, we were reconciled unto him through his death. What was it? Now, we know that Jesus willingly laid his life down, but men willingly took and crucified him. And ultimately, it was our sin. That's the reason Jesus went to the cross in the first place. Now, what is your reaction if my actions cause the death of your child? What is your reaction toward me with that? God's reaction is making peace. God allowed His Son to be taken into wicked hands and be crucified. Our sins, every one of your sins and mine, were put, placed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And out of all that, I, wouldn't, it, wouldn't it make sense if the Bible would have said, said here instead that because of His death, I'm making war with this planet? I'm going to make war with mankind. I'm going to show them my, my wrath. I'm going to show them my judgment. But the Bible says he made peace through the blood of his cross. And so we go from these dizzy heights, from light unapproachable to night unbelievable, from the thunderous applause of the heavenly host to the bitter blasphemies of murderous men. In a single sentence, down we come from the realm where Christ was crowned with glory and honor to the place where he was crucified in weakness and shame. The week before last, we looked at the means of rec we started looking at reconciliation and we looked at the prodigal son. We preached a whole message about that as an illustration of reconciliation. But let's consider for a moment reconciliation. Uh, that, that's a term that we may not use all that often, but two, when two parties need to be reconciled, they need to be br brought back together because something has come between them. Many times marriages have had to be uh, reconciled. Relationships with children have had to be reconciled. But when it comes to God, the reconciliation was all, uh, all, ins all uh, instigated by God and not sought out by man. And God didn't have nothing he had to reconcile for. In other words, God has nothing to apologize for because he's never done anything wrong. But think about it, man is, uh, is, is the, the ones that have sinned, but yet God in his grace wants to be reconciled to us. Now the means of that reconciliation, again there in verse number 20, the Bible says, and having made peace through the blood of his cross. Now God wanted to make peace with you. God wants to make you his child, but there was a great price attached, and folks, it was the blood of his darling son. But yet, he willingly paid that price because he loves you and I that much. All right? God has always held open arms and outstretched hands toward man. 
The hostility has always been on the side of man. Think with me for a moment about those who still cuss God and blaspheme God and deny God. And I'm telling you, it's on the increase in the day and age in which we live. But instead of God being like this, God is still like this. He's still saying, come unto me. It's like Jesus on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. But I'm telling you, there's coming a day when you will have to give an account for your sin. But God in grace has left. You know, we talk about this sometimes. It comes up in Bible trivia every once in a while. The oldest man in the Bible, who was he? Methuselah was the oldest man in the Bible. Now, there's a significance to that. Does anybody remember what the Methuselah's name actually means? Amen. There we go. I, and, and maybe Kurt was getting there, but I heard it already. Uh, on his death, it shall come. On his death, it shall come. Now, what do we know, biblically speaking, when we look at the timeline, what happened the day that Methuselah died? Methuselah went down and what, Kurt? The waters came down from, the, the, the flood waters began to fall. Now, you put that together for a moment. The oldest man in the Bible. Why? God gave that much space. Noah preached for 120 years trying to give men the opportunity to repent. People look in the Old Testament and they think, well, he's, I remember a guy at work uh, last year, he read through the Bible and he, he come to me and he said, boy, the God of the Old Testament is not a very benevolent God, is he? And I said, man, you're missing it. He's the same benevolent God that he is today. There's no difference. I said, all those that face the judgment of God did so because they refused to turn to God. They refused to accept His grace. The opportunity was there. Oh, look at the land of Canaan. Yeah, but look at Rahab, the harlot, the prostitute. She heard about, she heard about God just like the rest of them heard about God. And what did she do? She repented. She turned to God, and God saved her. And by the way, you talk about grace. Guess what? She's in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. She's a great-great-grandmother of Christ on the earthly side. A prostitute. Why? Because she was willing to turn. See, what man often does is they still try to keep their stiff necks going in their own direction, refusing to give in to God, and then still, uh, still just blatantly point their finger at God as if he's the responsible party. So the means of our reconciliation, because Jesus is God, He's able to do what no mere man could ever do. He's able to reconcile lost sinners to a holy God. When the first man and woman sinned, they declared war on God. If you think about it, it was treacherous what Adam and Eve did in the garden. It was treacherous what they did to a loving God. God only gave them one rule. One! I don't know how many trees there were in the garden, but let's assume there were hundreds. Let's, we, can, we can just assume there's dozens, but I'm sure there were hundreds. And God just said, that one right there, leave it alone. Don't eat of that tree. But what did they do? The one thing God said not to do, they did. It's treacherous. I mean, it's mutinous. But God did not declare war on them. Instead, God sought out Adam and Eve. He provided a covering for their sins. See, the natural mind of the unsaved sinner is at war with God. According to Romans chapter 8, verse 7, we're at enmity with God. The sinner may be sincere, religious, and even moral, but he's still at war with God. Now, when I talk about sinners, who am I talking about? All of us, amen? The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
Uh, you say, well, I, I don't know if I'd call myself a sinner because I'm not as bad as so and somebody else. But if you have sin, that makes you a sinner. And we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. How can a, now, the question is this. How can a holy God ever be reconciled with sinful man? Can God lower his standards, close his eyes to sin, and compromise with man? See, that's what some people think love is. God looks at a rebellious world, and God says, Ah, oh, you know what? I love y'all so much. Y'all shucks. I'm just going to let you in anyway. Just don't tell your mom, you know. A lot of people think, but that's not what it is. God couldn't do that. Because the moment God do that, he would lose his holiness. So how can a holy God, how can he maintain his holiness and being just and still allow sinners into heaven and sinners to become his sons? There's only one way, and that is somebody must come and fulfill and maintain his holy law. Now, none of us have that capability. You say, well, I'm doing pretty good keeping the Ten Commandments, but the Bible says if you keep them all and offend in one point, the Bible says you're guilty of all. So it's not up to us, but praise God, Jesus shed his blood for you and I. Amen. That's the good news. We're reconciled through the blood, through his death on the cross. See, now think about this. We could just think about it from man's perspective. Man may get the idea that maybe I can please God. But here's what the Bible says in Isaiah 64, verse 6. But we are, but we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. If you didn't get that, God is saying even the very best we have to offer comes short, very, way short. Imagine, just imagine this for a moment. See, here's what we try to do. There's nothing wrong with trying to be a good person, by the way. We ought to try to be a good person. But if we're being a good person and thinking that in and of itself is going to get us to heaven, we're mistaken. Just consider this for a moment. Just imagine a person who was really respectful towards you, really good to you. Maybe, I mean, it's Christmas time. They've got a really nice gift for you. But they killed a loved one of yours. Do you just say, yeah, you know, they did that, but man, they bought me a great Christmas present. You know, that's not what we do. See, there's no amount of works that can make up for the fact that we're all sinners. See, also, by nature, the Bible says that man is separated by uh, uh, God by his deeds, and we're alienated from God. Verse 21 says uh, in Colossians 1, And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. See, there's people that when they think of a sinner, they think of some, you know, sod drunk, or we mentioned the prostitute earlier, some terrible person. But then, see, sinners also gather together and put their noses up in there and think they're better than everybody else and reek of pride. And I'm telling you, uh, that reeks in the nostrils of God. Pride. It's all sin. It's all sin. The, see, the Bible says in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, the sinner is dead in trespasses and sins and therefore is unable to do anything for himself. If the Bible says a person is dead, once a person is dead, there's not a lot you can do, right? And that's how the Bible says we were, not physically, but spiritually. You're alive physically, we all are. But, but the, the part of us that can relate to God is dead from birth. But when we are saved by the grace of God, when we are reconciled, the Bible says we are quickened. 
We are brought back to life through the Word of God and, and through His Word speaking and through His Spirit moving. We are brought back to life. But God, who's rich in mercy, amen, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. For by grace are you saved. And hath made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And the Bible goes on to say, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So, Jesus Christ did what it took to save a race like ours, the human race. Um, so, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse number 19, Man, God's so good. 2 Corinthians 5, 19 says, to wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Oh, my friend, think about that. The Lord Jesus Christ coming, be becoming a man so that he could die, make peace through the blood of his cross. And folks, I tell you, that's still the only way. See... The, the false teachers that they were dealing with in Colossians, they offered what they called a certain reconciliation. Now listen to me. They listened to a reconciliation that could get you a little closer to God, give you a better shot, give you a better chance. That sounds a lot like religion today, doesn't it? You know, religion doesn't offer a lot of certainty. It really doesn't. By the way, that's one of the ways they get you, right? Because you got to keep on doing what they say to do. You got to keep on forking out the money. You got to keep on doing whatever it is to promote the, the church and, and, and these things. Uh, and, and then maybe, maybe, if you're really good, uh, you, you'll, you'll go to heaven. You give yourself the best shot that way. But that's what those false teachers did. But folks, I've got really good news for you. That's not the gospel. The gospel offers complete reconciliation. Not that, okay, now when I see God out at the store, we'll speak and be friendly to each other, kind of like what religion would do. No. This, see, salvation, the gospel, brings you into his home. Amen? Makes you his child. I mean, it makes you his beloved son or daughter. That's what reconciliation does. Full, true. That's what the Bible says there, Colossians 1.20, that he's able to reconcile all things to himself. Folks, his reconciliation was completed on the cross. I love what the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 10. For if when we were enemies, if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. So the reconciliation that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. What a price he paid. Now, what was it that motivated all this? It wasn't anything that you've ever done. It wasn't you trying to be good. It was his love for you and for me. What a grace. What a love. What a reconciliation. I guess my question will be to you tonight. Have you been reconciled to God? I mean, are you? can you call yourself assuredly today his child? If not... 
I want you to know something. He went through great lengths so that you could be called his child. What did it say there? Reconciled, making peace through the blood. That's how much he loves you. That's the effort that he's made towards you. And in addition to that, we talk about the ministry of the church. He's let the gospel, the truth, come into your ears. Hopefully you'll let it into your heart. He's brought it right here. You think about that. How far God comes to give you the opportunity. He does everything he can, but there's one thing he will not do. He will not force you. He won't do it. He'll convict you. He'll draw you. He'll show you your need for Him. But what it really comes down to is you hearing the gospel message. The Bible says in Romans 10, Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And the Bible says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. So we hear it. And then we've got to believe. Not hear like many of us have believed all of our lives. But the Bible says, Believe on Him. From the heart believing on Him. That's faith, the kind of faith it is, uh, I, I forget the man's name, I actually had it all, I think I've got it on the notes on my phone somewhere, but I've given the illustration before about the man who would do several tricks across, he would do, he would, uh, do a tight wire, a tightrope act across Niagara Falls, I'm talking about years and years ago. And uh, he got really famous at it, got really good at it. There's a story that goes that he would carry stuff across and, and one time he decided he was going to push a wheelbarrow across. And, uh, and to the crowd of spectators that came to see him, you know, he says, how many of you believe I can push this wheelbarrow across? And of course the crowd just roars, oh yeah, we believe it and why not? He's done so many other things. And then he looks and he says, well, who would like to get in? There's a difference, isn't there? See, there's a difference in people that sit in church or home or wherever they are and say, oh yeah, I believe in God. I believe Jesus Christ. I believe all that stuff. Well, then get in. Get in. It's Christmas, right? The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I love Christmas, man. I really do. I've already got some gifts purchased and I'm not done yet. I like it. I like giving. I like receiving. But if you've got, if, if I had a gift for you today, paid for, I've got gifts right now, paid for. Uh, I was thinking about getting Willie and you get tar. Um, sorry, inside joke. But, but no, I mean, uh, I mean, paid for. Picked out with Willie, otherwise known as Walt in mine. That's an inside joke. I probably shouldn't use up here. But, uh, Paid for, bought, you on my mind. That gift is as good as yours. That's what salvation is. It does you no good to look at that box and say, wow, that's great. I'm glad that you got me a gift. Now, Hunter, I wonder if on Christmas, if you get a present and it's got your name on it, will you be just satisfied to say, oh, thanks, Mom and Dad, and then just put that box over to the side? Is that how you normally do on Christmas morning? No, uh, you're not trying to sneak in and find out what they got. You look in the closet and all that stuff, are you? All right, uh, but I'll tell you one thing he's probably not doing. He's probably not getting the gift and saying, oh, thanks, Mom and Dad, and putting it to the side. He's ready to tear that thing open. See, but that's where so many people, there's a great divide there. They believe, but they won't give in or get in. They believe, but they won't accept the gift. You must accept 
the gift of God. 